All right, we are moving on to chapter 3 and going to look at the gospel message. This is where we start getting into the, to the meat of the class. We talked about what our goals and purposes were, and we are, know that we are to make disciples, and in order to make disciples, who, that deals with evangelism and training. And so tonight we're going to look at the gospel message and then the offer and the response. And then we're going to go over two lessons and we're going to look at four different ways to share the gospel with other people. And then we're going to talk about our security and our assurance. And so all of these things kind of encompass um, the idea of evangelism. And then we'll move on from there and talk about discipleship some more and then talk about the training part. So um, before we get started in this lesson, though, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and uh, don't shout out the answers. Let's give everybody a chance to think about it, and then we will answer the questions. Question number one is, is the gospel that Jesus died for our sins? Is the gospel that Jesus died for our sins? What's the answer? Yes or no? Part of it. All right. Good good answer. Good answer. It's part of it because it deals with both the death and the resurrection. And tonight as we go through the gospel and the message, we'll see the importance of the resurrection in the message. So is the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to forgive all sins and rose from the grave to conquer death for all people? So is the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to forgive all sin and rose from the grave to conquer death for all people? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he died, he died for all people. Yeah. The gospel is not everyone gets Okay. Well, we're leaving something out. Huh? Yeah. So what's wrong? Does anybody well, know? Gotta have eternal life, he paid for all sin. Okay, so he didn't, he didn't die to forgive all sin. He died to pay for all sin. Oh, yeah. There's a difference between the payment oh, of yeah. sin and yeah. forgiveness of sin. We'll talk more about it as we go through there, but I'm just getting your mind thinking and getting on the right track. So now that a person that you're talking to knows the gospel, we want them to respond by asking Jesus in their hearts so that they can be saved and saved forever. Is that right? No. No. What's wrong with that? You're asking them to do an action. Okay. Believe in faith. Faith. By faith. Believing. So it's believing in Christ for eternal life. If you look in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible do you find a verse that says, ask Jesus into your heart. But over and over, 98 times in the Gospel of John, um, over 168 times in the New Testament, it says believe. And so we want to say what the Bible says. And, uh, and so we'll talk more about that as well. Now that we know the gospel, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we're saved. Is that right? No. Okay, what's wrong with it? You need to believe for eternal life. Okay. So you're not, you're not believing the facts, the death and the resurrection, but you believe in the person of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. The object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ, not the actions that he did. Those actions make him 
able to save us, but just believing the actions themselves are not what saves us. So what does one who believes in Jesus Christ receive? Eternal life. life. Boy, that was great. Great. Everybody (laughs) knew that answer. What are some other things, though? Because it is true that we receive eternal life whenever we believe in Jesus Christ, but what else do we receive? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, forgiveness. Peace. He's with us always. Um, we get His righteousness credited to our account. So there's, there's an abundance of things that happen at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. But the key thing that, that we need is life because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We come into the world dead, separated from God. And uh, whenever we believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, then He gives us life, eternal life, eternal relationship with Him that lasts forever. And so that is the key. So that takes us to the start of Lesson 3. So, um, But we are talking about the Gospel message tonight. As I've emphasized in the weeks before, um, if you have questions, be sure and ask me. Be sure and stop me if you've got a comment or a thought um, that is prevalent to what we're talking about. Let's make sure because this is the most important message in the world. And we'll even see that as Paul emphasizes in the gospel um, that it is of first importance. And so it's the most important message and we want to be 100% clear about what the message is, what the response is, and what the offer is that Jesus makes to whoever believes in him. So what is our goal as we consider the gospel message? The goal is that each person would understand the good news message of salvation. That each person would understand the good news message of salvation. So what what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news, exactly right. It's good news. And so whenever we think about good news, there's good news about a lot of things in the world. But whenever we're talking about the Bible and the gospel message, the good news message that we are to share with other people through evangelism, it's the good news message of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Paul, so Paul, he went to the Galatians, and he shared with them the gospel message that he received directly from Christ. And um, Paul was amazed. Just just after he had left um, these Judaizers, they came in to to the region, and they were mixing up and and adding to what Paul had told them. And so in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, who is the him, it's God, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Because why is it not another gospel? Because it's not good news. Because what was their good news message? They they said, in order for you to have eternal life, in order for you to be saved, in order to know that you're saved, what do you have to do? Paul had it right that you do have to believe in Jesus Christ, but he just didn't tell you the whole story. What you have to do, guys, I've got good news for you. In order for you to have eternal life, you've got to be circumcised. Boy, that sounds like great news, doesn't it? Is that a good news message? 
And it doesn't sound like good news to me. And once that you get once that you get circumcised, then I've got more good news. Then that kind of makes you like a Jew. And so then you need to put yourself under the law. You need to keep the entire law, you know, like us Jewish people do, or like we say that we do, or that we try to do, but we can't do because no one can keep the law. And so he's like, you know, I'm amazed. How can you so quickly desert God who called you by the grace of Christ? for a different gospel, which is really not another because it's not a good news message. But the good news message that I preached to you that I got directly from Christ, as he goes on to say later in the book of Galatians, I got my message directly from Christ and it was a good news message. It's that you have faith in Jesus Christ and you have eternal life. He says it in Galatians 2.16. He says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so we can be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh can be justified. So the good news message that Paul preached to them was the good news message of Christ's death and resurrection, and his response to the gospel was belief. Believe in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. So they were quickly moving away from the gospel. So as we consider the gospel, we want to consider three different aspects. And number one is the gospel message itself. The gospel, as, as we put it here, has three different parts. There's the message, and then number two is the response to the gospel the response to that gospel message. So what is the response to the gospel message? And then number three is the offer. What is it that we're being offered? So let me ask you this. Why is the gospel so important? It's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. believes. So there's power in the gospel because the, the gospel message is what Jesus Christ did that shows that he has the power, that he's worthy to give you what he's offering to you. And so that's what Romans 1.16 says. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so the gospel is important because it shows unbelievers what Christ did for them so they can be saved by believing in him for eternal life. That is why the gospel is so important. So let's begin with the gospel message. Where do we find the gospel message? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 8 is the entirety of it. In verses 3 and 4, we see the main gist of it, the nuts and bolts, Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so if you look with me at verse 1, notice what it says, says there. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, so he's making known to them the gospel that he preached to them. And then he's going to go down there in verses 3 through 8, and he gives, gives it to its entirety. 
Looking at verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, before we get to the Gospel message itself, look at how he starts that off. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. Why is the gospel message of first importance? The foundation of everything. Okay, it's the foundation of everything. What else? It's how you receive eternal life. It's how you receive eternal life. Our security. Our security. So... I mean, you, you hit it exactly right, because why is it of first importance? Because what if I know all about the Bible, but yet I never believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life? Then what good does all of that knowledge that I have do for me? Does you no good? You've got to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and the truth is you probably can't understand all the rest of the Bible because what do you get whenever you believe in Jesus Christ? One of the things we receive is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit teaches us the deeper things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And so without having the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you, um, He's our teacher, John 14, 26. He teaches us and helps bring to our remembrance the things that we've been taught. And so the Holy Spirit teaches us and He, he teaches us the deeper things of God. And so that's why it's important to stick with the gospel whenever you're talking to unbelievers. Many times, what do they want us to want to do with us whenever we're talking to them about the gospel, about sharing the gospel, about asking them um, about Christ? What do they want to do many times? Argue. They want to argue. Change the subject. They want to change the subject. Make it about something besides salvation. Make it something else other than salvation. Maybe, um, you know, thinking that there's errors in the Bible. Or um, can you really believe that um, God could create all of this um, in, in a six-day time period? Flood the, um, flood, what? flood the world. Flood the world. All of these different things. They try to get you off topic. And if you look at John chapter 4... The exact same thing happens to Jesus with the woman at the well. So Jesus goes, um, he's on his way, and he travels through Samaria. Normally, um, whenever the Jews go from the north to the south, from Jerusalem up to, to Galilee, or vice versa, they usually go around Samaria. And, um, but not Jesus. He went directly through there, and he stops there at a well. And there's a Samaritan woman, and uh, Jesus asks the Samaritan woman for some water. And she looks at him, and she's like, you being Jewish, why are you talking to me? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. And uh, you being a man, why are you talking to me, a female? You know, this is, this is not the way things are, are to go. And what did Jesus do? He went directly to, if you know who it is that was asking you for a drink, and what he could give you eternal life, water that will that will never make you thirst again, then, then you would ask Him of it. 
And so he goes right back to the subject. He gets her right on topic of what we're talking about. We're talking about this living water, this everlasting water. And then she, she again tries to get him off topic. And you know, you guys worship on this mountain and we worship on that mountain. He says that's not what's important. What's important is this living water. You drink of it. You believe in Christ and you have eternal life. And so we don't want to get off on side, side topics. We don't want to get off on different areas or different thoughts in the Bible. We want to stick to the subject of what it is that Jesus Christ did and how they can have eternal life. So it is of first importance. But what is of first importance? Paul, in verses 3 and 4, makes known to the Romans the gospel message. What are the two parts of the gospel message? The first part is that Christ did what? Died. Died for our sins. According to the scriptures. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Why did Jesus have to die? What does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages is death. For the wages of sin is death. So, what did we owe God because we've sinned? We owed God death. But, what did Jesus Christ do? He paid it for us. Exactly right. All that sin shall die, but Jesus Christ came in and took our place. And for whom did he die? Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he became our substitute. He came in our place and died in our place. So let me ask you this. That, that verse says that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus Christ died for us. But did Jesus Christ die to pay for the sins of all people or just believers? All people. First John 2, 2, He is a satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Hebrews 2, 9 says that He tasted death for every man. And so He died to pay the penalty of sin for all people. So since Jesus Christ died and paid the penalty for sin, made the payment of sin for all people, then why are not all people saved if all their sins have been paid for? Because they haven't believed. Exactly right. Because they haven't believed in Christ. Because the payment of sin doesn't equal forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness comes by faith. John uh, 10.43 Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sin. Acts 13.38 is another great verse that shows that by faith we receive the forgiveness of sins. So Acts 10.43 and Acts 13.38 43. Acts 10.43 and Acts 13.38 You can also look at John uh, 3.18. For he who believes... What is it? John 3.18. For he who believes... 
is not condemned. He who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So why is he not condemned? Is it because he has sin? No, it's because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so sin is not the ultimate issue. The issue is faith. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to believe in Him for eternal life? Or are you not going to? That's the issue. And so Jesus Christ paid for the sins of all mankind, but we receive the forgiveness of sin. We receive eternal life and Christ's righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and so many other things. And they come by faith in Christ and in Him alone. I think the forgiveness one is a different one. I don't think there's a 1043. It's not 1043. Acts. Acts 1043. Acts 1043. There we go. All right. Cool. All good. I heard John at first. Did I? I might have said John, but it's Acts 1043. Acts 1043 and 1338. Both of them in the book of Acts. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts, comments, questions? I'm going pretty fast and just rattling off stuff. Anything? All right. It goes on and says, according to the Scriptures. What, what Scripture do you think it's referring to? Think it's something in the New Testament, something in the Old Testament? Okay, it's probably referring to something in the Old Testament since the New Testament hadn't even already been hadn't been written at this time, um, and so it's probably referring to the Old Testament. What what's a good Old Testament passage that it could be referring to? Does anybody know what the suffering servant passage is? Has anybody ever heard that? Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53 um, is the key there. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, yeah, Isaiah 53, um, the whole whole chapter there, but I'll just read verses 5 through 8. It says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. And so Jesus Christ, he stepped in to our place. He was the one who came in and died on the cross. It was prophesied that he would do it and he took our place 
He bore in His body our sins on the cross. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So, what is the proof that He died? According to, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He was buried. He was buried, exactly right. So we don't bury live people, we bury dead people. He was on the cross. Um, He died on the cross and He was buried. So how would we summarize the first part of the Gospel? Christ died on the cross paying for the sins of the world according to the Old Testament passage Isaiah 53. The proof that He died was that He was buried. Now we want to look at the second part of the Gospel. B there says that Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Exactly right. So this next question is really difficult. How long was He in the grave? Three days. All right. And what Scriptures declares the Messiah will rise from the dead? That's even more difficult one. But if you look at Psalm 16.10, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And so, David's writing, David was put in the grave and stayed in the grave, but Jesus Christ was put in the grave and He didn't stay there. Three days later, He arose from the grave conquering death. What was Psalm 16.10. So somebody read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 5 through 8 and let's see what the proof of his resurrection. Hello, hello. How are you? Yeah, there's that one. Oh, no, I don't know if you want to squeeze them right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 5 through 8. And that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Alright. So, what is the proof of his resurrection according to those verses? He was seen. seen. Exactly right. He was seen. And so one of the things, too, that I want to point out is many times people say that the gospel is the death and resurrection, just the death of Jesus Christ. Sometimes they say the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sometimes they say that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the best way to say it, if you're going to say the death, the burial, and the resurrection, is you also need to say that he was seen. Because you have the death, you have the burial, the proof of the death, you have the resurrection, then you need the proof of the resurrection. If you just say death and resurrection, which is what we say most of the time, um, that's the most condensed version and the easiest way. Um, to say it, but many people just say the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But if you say that, I would say that you need to say 
um, that he was seen as well so that you have the proof on the back side just like you have proof on the front side. So any thoughts, comments, questions so far? So the next question is, is what is the importance of the resurrection of Christ? We talked about that, you know, that there's importance, that we don't just say that the gospel is the death of Jesus Christ. We say that it's the death and the resurrection, and there's importance in the resurrection. What is the importance of the resurrection of Christ? Um, okay, conquered death. Let's look at them in, in order that we have here. Um, somebody... Leslie, you look up Romans 1, 4. Um, Ryan, you want to look up, we're right where we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but verses 16 and 17. And somebody else want to get 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23? You got it? Okay. We'll start with Leslie first, Romans 1, 4. It was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, According to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so according to Romans 1 4, he was declared to be the Son of God through the power of his resurrection. So he is who the Jewish people were looking for. He is the Messiah, the Savior that they were looking for. He is our Savior that, that we look back to, and we know that through his resurrection, he had power through his resurrection. And then 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 and 17. Uh, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. So, according to those verses, why is it important for the resurrection? It proves that our sins are paid for. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins but through his resurrection, you've got the proof that our sins are paid for. Because anybody could say, hey, you know, I'm the Messiah, I'm going to die for your sins. And, you know, you die. Well, you know, is he really the Messiah or is he, he just some, some person? Because there's been several people that have said that they are the Messiah even after Jesus. Um, and uh, whenever they went to the grave, they stayed there. But Jesus didn't stay there. He arose from the grave. He was seen by many people. And so that proves the payment of sin. But since we've got extra time and um, everything, let's talk about something that is kind of goes along with it, but not exactly um, something that's in the book here. This is just some extra things. But... And if you know this answer, don't give it out real quick because let's let people think about it before we answer. But when did Jesus Christ pay for the sins of the entire world? When did he pay for the sins of the entire world? All right, somebody want to answer? Okay. When he offered up his book. Okay, so you guys have got it right. Um, but he paid for the sins of all mankind while he was on the cross. 
You know, many people say that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for sins, and whenever He died physically, that's whenever He paid for the sins. But the truth is, is that He paid for the sins while He was on the cross. While He was on the cross, what did He say? He said, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? And the, and the world goes dark. And that's whenever God is pouring on Him, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He bore in his body on the cross our sins. And so the world goes dark. He, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God the Father, my God the Holy Spirit. He, he is currently out of fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit because the weight and the sins of the world are being placed on him at that point in time. But then what does he say? You said it. It's finished. It is finished. What is finished? The payment. the payment of sin is finished. He's still on the cross. He's still alive. He's still talking. And then what does he say? Into your hands I commit my spirit. He's back into fellowship and he commit into his hands I commit my spirit and he dies physically. So if he paid for the sins of all mankind while he was on the cross through that separation, why did he also need to go ahead and die physically? To conquer death. Exactly right. And that takes us to the final thing there in 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. What does that say? But now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And, oh, 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Okay. So he conquered death for every man. And so that's why he had to go ahead and physically die so that he could conquer death. Because there's spiritual death. We come into the world spiritually dead and spiritually separated from God. At the moment we believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, we become spiritually alive. And then at one point in time, whenever Christ comes back, the church is going to go and, and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so there is a physical resurrection that, that our bodies are going to come out of the grave. And those who are left on this earth at that point in time who have believed in Jesus Christ, their bodies are going to be raised as well. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. And so there's a physical um, resurrection that goes along with it. And so that's why Jesus went ahead and died. He conquered death for all people. And so, the truth is, all people are going to exist forever. All people are going to exist forever. Those who have not believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life are going to exist forever separated from Christ and from you and from me. And all who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life are going to live forever with Jesus Christ and together with one another. And so... It's a great thing that Christ conquered death, that He arose from the grave. So any comments, 
questions, thoughts? Boy, you guys are. You either got it or you're asleep or something. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're raised from the dead and up to Christ, and we have a glorified body at that, that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we don't see Christ right away, do we? Like when we yeah, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Yeah. Do we see Him right away? Yeah, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we'll be able to recognize each other. Since we're flesh. Yep. But we won't know our people there. They won't be like they, they are here on earth, right? Like, like Jerry won't be my husband up there. I won't know him, right? Well, you, you'll probably know who people are. You go back to the Mount of Transfiguration whenever Jesus goes up there with uh, Peter, James, and John. And who's up there? Moses and Elijah. And they recognized who those people were. And so we'll probably have recognition of who people are who are around us. Um, and so, yeah, I believe we'll, we'll know who they are. You have to still put up with me. <laughs> all right let's look next at the response the response to the gospel how do we want people to respond to the gospel message after we've given them the message of Jesus Christ how do we want them to respond okay believe believe what the gospel truth for eternal life Believe what? Believe in, in Jesus for eternal Jesus life. For eternal life. Eternal life. So, believe, and that's what some, that's what many people say. What do you want people to do once they've heard the gospel message? We want them to believe. Well, what do we want them to believe? We want them to believe that Jesus died. Is that good enough? Do we want them to believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Is that good enough? Do we want them to believe that God exists? Do we want them to believe that Jesus existed? He existed whether you believe it or not. Exactly. <laughs> he, he existed whether you believe it or not. He paid for your sins whether you believe it or not. But what you want to do is you believe, and belief always has an object, and the object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. So he is the object of our faith, is the person of Jesus Christ. So we're believing in him for what he's offering to us, which is eternal life. We need life because we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're separated from God. And so we need life. And so that's what we want people to believe in. And we're going to get more... We're going to hit more on this whenever we get to the security and the assurance. But the reason that we want to want them to understand and to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life so that they know that what they have is eternal. And by definition, eternal means how long? Forever. And, and so if they believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and at the moment they believe in Jesus Christ, they get eternal life, then how long do they have eternal life? So what if we are bad tomorrow? We still have it. What if we murder someone tomorrow? 
what if I quit believing in Christ tomorrow? We still have it. And so that's what we want to do. That's why we say it the way that we say it. And we don't just say it the way we say it because we think that's a good way to say it. We say it the way we say it because what does Jesus say? In John 3.16, Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so that's one of the reasons that we don't say you ask Jesus into your heart because the Bible doesn't say that. So why would we say that? Why don't we say what the Bible says? John 10, 28. We'll look at them here in just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we want to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. So where do we find this response? John 3, 16. What does that say? So whoever does what? Exactly right. So we say what the Bible says, just as John 3.16. Turn real quick to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to look at this real quick um, because it gives the great response, but also it gives us great hope as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1. The key is verse 16, but verses 12 through 15 set up the verse very well. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because He considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though, what was He? I was formerly a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which, we, which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement. The Word is faithful. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the, into the world to save sinners. So that's why He came into the world. That's why He was born. That's why He lived. That's why He died. That's why He rose again to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. So Paul, being the worst sinner of all, if you don't believe it, it's written in Scripture. There's no one worse than him. But what did God do for him? Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, the worst sinner of all, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would do what? Believe in Him for eternal life. So it doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how bad your friends are. It doesn't matter how bad your family members are. It doesn't matter how bad your neighbors are. There's still hope for them. If there was hope for Christ, or for Paul, if, if Christ could save Paul, the worst sinner of all, the one who didn't just persecute people because of who they were, he persecuted people for the sake of Christ, and, and he killed them, um, because they believed in Christ, because they were, they were living for Christ, because they were proclaiming a gospel of Jesus Christ. He put them to death for that very reason, but God saved him as an example 
that anyone can be saved. And so don't lose hope. Don't write off anyone because of their appearance, because of their sins that they have in their life. Jesus Christ's grace is greater than all of our sins. And so we need to to understand. But the key there in 1 Timothy 1.16 is an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. So we see it over and over again. Acts 16.31. Somebody look up that verse. Who's got it? All right. Acts 16.31 right here. John 6.47. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Okay. So again, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. So you'll be saved. Saved. And that's one of the things too is that yes, the Bible says you're saved, but whenever we just say saved it doesn't have the idea of eternality and so that's why we like to point out the eternal life that you believe in jesus christ for eternal life but the truth is you can believe in jesus christ to be saved let me ask you this how many of you believed in jesus christ to keep from going to hell everybody nobody half of us the truth is, that's, that's why we did. I mean, we didn't want to go to hell. We don't want to be separated from God for all eternity. And so that is a reason. But we believe in Jesus Christ um, for eternal life. We believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. But if we say that to somebody, we need to go on, in my opinion, and according to the Word of God and everything as well, to make them to understand and make sure that they understand that they're not just saved right now, that they're saved and saved forever. John 6, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So, he who believes has eternal life. That's Jesus speaking. He who believes in him has eternal life. What is Romans 4, 5? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay. So, he who does not work, but believes. And so again, we see that it's not, not a work, it's believed. And he who believes in him is credited as righteousness. We get God's righteousness by faith. And um, also what I want to point out there is because sometimes people will say, well, you have to believe in him. So belief is a work. But what does that verse say? To the one who does not work, but in contrast to work, believes. So believing is not a work. That's a great verse to take somebody to if they ever tell you that. Also Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that we're going to look at more in depth here in just a minute as well. What about John 5, 24? Okay, so again, believe. Whoever believes does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. We're going to spend a lot more time looking at that verse later, but that is an excellent verse 
Um, not only to show that we need to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, but also for our security because there's three tenses in there that we see and we'll go over that more in depth at a later time. So I don't want to take the time to do it this evening. But we want you to understand, what we want you to understand is what the Bible says is it's believe, believe, believe over and over again. It's believe in Jesus Christ. It's not behave. John 3.16 doesn't say that whosoever behaves in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So any thoughts, comments, questions? Um, I think I missed the B part where we find the response. Is that 1 Timothy 1.15-16? Where we find the response? Where do we find the response? John three sixteen is one, and First Timothy one sixteen is number two. Okay, I got ahead of myself. That's all right. So, any other thoughts? All right, what do we learn about salvation from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Turn to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Somebody, somebody read it real quick. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so salvation is always by what? By faith. grace, through faith, and it's not of works. So it's grace. And what is grace? Unmerited favor. We get something we don't deserve. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything for it. God in His grace just gives us to it gives it to us and it's by faith and it's not of ourselves it's the gift of God not as a result of work so that no one may boast you know there's an acronym that they use sometimes for grace and it's God's riches at Christ's expense you know some people talk about you know well what you're offering people is cheap grace and it's not cheap grace it's free grace and it's not cheap because it cost Christ his life and so there's nothing cheap about it it's completely free to us but it costs Christ everything and so it's not cheap grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. So again, like I said with Romans 4, 5, somebody says, you know, well, you have to believe. Believe's the work. No, that verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, shows 
that grace and works are totally in opposition to one another. Romans 11.6, we'll look at it later as well. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So if you add one work to grace, then grace is no longer grace. So any, any thoughts about that? Here's a poem that I found. It says, Salvation is a gift of God, not something earned or won. He freely gives eternal life to all who believe in His Son. And that's so true. It's not something that we earn, something that we won. It's something that's freely given to all who believe in His Son. So, we need to understand that salvation is a gift. It costs us absolutely nothing. Um, we didn't do anything to deserve it, anything to earn it. If you look at Paul's life, the worst sinner of all was going in total contrast to, to Jesus, to God, to His Word, to His work. But yet, in His grace, love, and mercy, He was saved. Not only was He saved, He was put into ministry and used for God's honor and glory. So, next we ask the question, what are some improper responses? What are some improper responses? I'll give you the four that we have here, but let's see what we come up with on our own. What do you hear people say, or what have you heard people say, or what have you been taught in church? Walk, walk down the aisle, be baptized. Walk down the aisle, ask be baptized. Ask, turn to your heart. Turn your heart to ask Him into your heart. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. What'd you say? Answer the knock at the door. Answer the knock at the door. <laughs> Revelation, dealing with fellowship, not with uh, salvation. Lead a good life. Lead a good life, live a good life. Wear a dress. <laughs> <laughs> Repent. Wear a dress, there you go. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Okay. So there's a laundry list of things that we've heard over the years that we have to do in order to gain eternal life, in order to go to heaven, in order to be with God forever. And so let's talk about some of these that we have written in here. Number one is to ask Jesus into your heart. Ask Jesus into your heart. And some people say, well, you know, that's what you got to use with kids so that they can, they can understand it. But nowhere in the Bible does it say, ask Jesus into your heart. If you can find that verse, uh, you can bring it to me and uh, we, may, we may change our minds, but it's not in there. So um, we don't need to ask people to ask Jesus into their heart. If we believe in Jesus Christ, it is true that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Jesus Christ comes to live inside of us. God the Father comes to live inside of us. Maybe that's why we're gaining weight. We just got let, you know, a lot of God in there. Uh, but, but the truth is, is He does come in, but that's not what we do. We don't ask Him into our lives. We believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. We believe in Him to give us eternal life. We believe in Him for what He promised to give us. Number two is repent of sins. Repent of sins. 
So let me let me throw this out there. The Gospel of John. What is the purpose of the Gospel of John? Does anybody know? What's the purpose of the Gospel of John? To show that Jesus is God. To show that Jesus is God? To show how you can be saved and have eternal life. Exactly. To show you how to be saved and how to have eternal life. John 20, 30, and 31. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his of his disciples but these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name so in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 he gives the purpose statement for why he wrote his gospel and it's so that people would believe in Jesus Christ to have life to have eternal life and that's the reason that he wrote the gospel of John and what does he say in the Gospel of John 98 times? Believe. Believe. How many times does he use the word repent in the Gospel of John? Any guesses? Exactly. Zero times does he use the word repent. So if you needed to repent of your sins in order to have eternal life, if you needed to repent in order to be saved, then don't you think if the purpose of the Gospel of John is to tell people how to be saved, he would have at least one time in that Gospel wrote that you need to repent of your sins or that you need to repent, period. Book of Galatians. Commented on it at the very beginning that the Judaizers came in and they gave a different gospel, which is not really another gospel. And so, what's he doing there? He's giving um, authority to his message. He he's talking about he got his message directly from Jesus Christ, and the message that he gave to them was clearly stated in, in Galatians 2.16, but over and over um, in there, you know, he says that it's faith in Christ. It's not living by the law and um, that, you, that you're saved or that you live the Christian life. It's not by putting yourself back under the law. It's, it's living a life of faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he's given clarity to his gospel that he got directly from Jesus Christ. And how many times do you think the word repent is used in that book zero. zero again so if that's part of his purpose it's not the entire purpose of it it's written to the church it's given them clarity on on the gospel and how to live the christian life um, and applicable truths as well as theology but he never uses the word repent and if that's what you needed to do in order to have eternal life then he would have put it in that book so there's no place in God's word that says that you repent of your sins in order to have salvation in order to have eternal life now if you do have an NLT version of the Bible a new living translation of the Bible you may find that you need to repent of your sins and repent of your sins and repent of your sins and it's not because that's what the Bible literally says but it's because they've added that into its translation. There's several other issues with that translation, and it's a very good translation, an easy translation to read, 
But if you're going to study the Bible, it's not a very good translation because it's more of a transliteration, translation, combination than it is an actual word-for-word translation like the NASB or the ESV or the New King James Version uh, um, of the Bible. And so I will add that to that statement there. Number three is make Jesus Lord. Make Jesus Lord. He's already Lord of all. Are we saved by agreeing to serve Him? Do we make Him Lord? He's already Lord. So, And then number four is give your life to Jesus. We don't give our lives to Jesus to be saved. We receive from Him eternal life. So it's not a give and take. I'll give you my life if you'll give me eternal life. It's a gift, as we saw from Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We don't do anything to earn it. We don't work for it. It's a gift given. Any thoughts, comments? You heard those things before? Yes. Does that help you give clarity to what it is? So that you're ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you when people ask you or tell you that no, it's more than faith alone. That you have to give your life to Jesus. You have to repent of your sins. You have to walk down an aisle. You have to be baptized. 1 Corinthians 1.17 For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptize people. He sent me to preach the gospel. And preaching the gospel is how people are saved. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. People are not saved by being baptized. Baptism is a picture that, of, the, of something that they have already done. I've believed in Jesus Christ. This is my testimony that I've believed in Jesus Christ. I'm showing the world that I've believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's what baptism is. But the baptism itself is not what saves Anyone. Can we about if we grow up believing? <clears throat> Not all of our lives, but when we first got saved, like when I first got saved, that's where I was told. Just ask Jesus into your heart. So I thought for many years until I got older, of course, that it has to be by faith. So people who are being saved now believing that, are they saved? I would say that they are saved if they believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. If, you know, whenever you said, I asked Jesus into my life, you know, were you saying, I asked Jesus into my life? Or I'm asking Jesus in my life because I believe in Him for eternal life. I, I know what He did for me. He died on the cross, paid for sin. He rose from the grave to conquer death. And so I believe in Him um, the way that I was told to believe in him was to ask Jesus into my life. I asked him into my life because I believed in him for eternal life. I would say that you're saved if you believe in him and you understand, you know, what it was that you're getting. There are some people, you know, I think there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus Christ at this moment in time and then they walk out the door and they run into somebody tomorrow that confuses them 
and they no longer understand what they understood the night before. They no longer believe because they get confused, and uh, but they believe the night before, and so they have what? Eternal life, even though they're confused, and we'll talk about that more later on, and I'll actually even read a story um, about that exact thing that, that happened to a person, and so... Um, but at the moment we believe we get eternal life so even if we get confused get off course um, or whatever it's at that moment of faith that we believe in him and we gain eternal life when people add to or confuse the response of the gospel we have a false message and this is called there's two things there's a is front loading and b is back loading so it's basically just what it says there, what it means. Um, Front-loading requires works to be saved. Requires works to be saved. So in order to be saved, what you have to do is you have to be baptized. In order for you to be saved, you have to be willing to walk down the aisle. In order to be saved, you need to be able to come down front and confess your sins. So you have to do something on the front end. You have to agree that you're going to serve Him. You're going to have to make Him Lord of your life in order to be saved. Backloading is kind of the opposite, but it's kind of the same thing. Backloading requires works to stay saved or to prove you're saved. So you you got to... I believe in Jesus Christ, but, you know, if I don't live right then I'm not saved. I, I, lose, I either am going to lose my salvation or I never had it to begin with. I didn't really believe because my life is not lived out like it should be. But how many of us live a life, live our lives out like they should be? How many? Exactly. None of us do. And so if you have to live your life out in the right way, if you have to be so good, well, how good do you have to be? And for how long do you have to be good? And so if that's where our salvation relies on, is on ourselves, then we have no assurance of our salvation. Uh, I got out of work. I got mad. I got mad. I said something I shouldn't have said. I tried to apologize, apologize, but it didn't make any sense. You're going to go to hell, you know. And I said, you, are you one of those guys that think you lose your salvation? He said, yes, I am. I said, oh, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> you know, that's what he did. He yep. would never accept my apology. And so he won't accept your apology. And if he's a Christian and uh, well, thinks that you lost your salvation because you, you got in trouble, then uh, what about his? <laughs> yeah. But the truth is, once we believe in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. We can't lose it. It's not based on our faithfulness, but it's based on Christ's faithfulness. Again, we'll get to all this in a lot more detail whenever we get to our lessons on security and assurance. So, any comments, thoughts, questions about that? I want to say... Eternal life, do we need to always say eternal life with Jesus? Or do we need to just leave it eternal life? Because we're all, we're all eternal, right? 
we're all going to exist forever, but those who have not believed in Jesus Christ are going to exist forever separated from Christ. And then those who have eternal life are going to live forever with Christ. But you could say eternal life with Christ. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You believe in Jesus Christ to get eternal life with Christ. And the moment you get that life, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, He is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? Um, And so He's always with us. Um, and we're never going to be separated from Him. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verses 30, at the end of that chapter there, 30-something to 30-something. But um, anyway, so that shows us that, you know, nothing can separate us. I wouldn't call the alternative life either. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He, he said, I wouldn't call the alternative life either. Uh, existing. Because you're existing. existing and you're existing. <laughs> All right. So front loading and back loading. We got what that is. And then that takes us to the final thing. And that is the offer. What is it that Jesus is offering? Eternal life, life. exactly right. We need life because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, Ephesians 2, um, verses 1 through 3, we see that, you know, we were walking in the world, the flesh, the devil. Um, We had no power over sin. We were dead. We were separated. But in His grace, in His love, in His mercy, He saved us. And He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. How? By grace we're saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. And so what He's offering to us is eternal life. And eternal life is an eternal relationship with God that begins when? At the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. You know, there's some people who think and there's some people who say that you get eternal life when you die. So we're living this life and then whenever we die, we get eternal life. But our eternal life should start at the moment we believe. It shouldn't start. It does start at the moment we believe. But we need to understand that. We need to realize that. Christ didn't come that we may, Christ came that we may have life and that we may have it abundantly. He wants us to live out the abundant Christian life. He wants us to live out our eternal life starting right here on this earth. And so it's an eternal relationship with Christ that begins at the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. It's something that can't be taken back. It's something that can't be given back. It's something that can't be lost. It's something that cannot end because it is, by definition, eternal. So, in summary, number one, the gospel message is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel message is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel message is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number two, the response to the gospel message is to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. The response to the gospel message is to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. 
And I would make it a habit of getting yourself in that mode that every time you think about it, because you're going to be asked it on probably eight of the following however many quizzes we've got left, you know, what is the response to the gospel? Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Don't just write believe. Don't just say believe in Christ. Say believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And, and program that and get that in your mind so that whenever you're talking to someone that we give them the biblical response, the proper response to the gospel. Number three, adding to or confusing the response to the gospel gives a false and confused message. Adding to or confusing the response to the gospel gives a false and confused message. Adding to or confusing the response to the gospel gives a false and confused message. Then number four, the offer is eternal life. 